West End Abbey is a contemplative vineyard church in the West End of Winnipeg in Manitoba, Canada. This is a homily from one of our services. So um, because we're online today, I wanted to share another song with you. It's only 30 seconds. You only have to tolerate this for 30 seconds and then we'll be back, okay? So I won't tell you anything about it, but like I said, it's only 30 seconds, okay? I love you! Okay, now you may not know that that was 17 or 18 year old me. <laughs> that was the epic hardcore band that I was in called Think Up a Clear Sky, popular to literally no one aside from a small collection of my friends, teenage friends. But yes, that was me. I was singing, well, my parents called it more like uh, the sound of mating tortoises. Um, so thank you, mom and dad. For that. <laughs> but yes, I was singing, uh, I was screaming, and it was so fun. But most people these days, if you know me, you know, oh, Suhail's a spiritual director, he's fairly calm and peaceful, would not think that those sorts of <laughs> tortoise mating calls would come out of me, uh, out of my vocal cords. None of you probably ever thought that I was in a band such as that, but I was. Well, today's gospel is a little bit like that. We we have this perception, uh, don't we, of who God is and um, and what God is like and what God is up to. And oftentimes the scripture confirms that, but there are some times when we look at a scripture which in in some way, shape or form confounds the expectations. It adds like a different note or a different streak to, to who we normally think of God to be, right? So today's gospel passage that Ashlyn read for us is one of those instances where it almost makes you do a double take as to what? This doesn't sound like the God that I know, the God that I'm familiar with. Who is this God? So before we sort of pinpoint exactly what the conundrum of this passage is, uh, just think for a moment of all the promises of peace associated in in the Bible. We have like Isaiah's prophecy in, for example, Isaiah chapter 9, where he thousands of years before the Messiah is describing this person who is going to be a wonderful counselor, much like some of our therapists, perhaps, uh, somebody who's an everlasting father, someone who is the prince of peace, Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 9. When uh, the birth of Christ is announced to the shepherds out in the field, uh, the chorus of angels say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. The, the proclamation around the birth of Jesus is an announcement of peace that's supposed to be filling and, and upon the earth. Think of Jesus in, in the boat when he's fast asleep on a cushion 
uh, maybe like Angeline and Tony at Gem Lake this past week. Uh, and there's this massive storm and Jesus stands up and his words to the storm, to the wind and the waves is peace, our, our peace be still. Think of the woman, one of my favorite stories in the gospel, the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years who touches Jesus's garment. And then Jesus invites her to come and tell her the whole story, singles her out and says, you know, who touched me? And then after she gives up the whole story to him, Jesus' word to her is, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. The risen Christ somehow materializes through the doors, the locked doors where the disciples were. And his first words to the disciples after his resurrection are, peace be with you. And finally, you know, when Paul describes the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, he, he says Jesus himself is our peace. He, dis, he divides, sorry, he breaks down the dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. He himself is our peace. So we have this arc right from Isaiah chapter 9, prophesying this person of peace, right to Paul's commentary that Jesus is the, the person who brings peace between otherwise separate or disparate groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, as well as all of the gospel words and actions that Jesus demonstrates and shows himself to be a person of peace. So peace is God's promised identity. It's God's vision or dream for the world. It's God's blessing on people. It's the ministry that God brings to us. It's all about peace. And yet here in this gospel passage, just like you hearing 30 seconds of me screaming my lungs out as a teenager that may seem out of character here in this gospel passage today we see we hear jesus say do you think i have come to bring peace to the earth no i tell you i have come to bring division there's a conundrum here all of this prophecy, all of this identity and vision and blessing and ministry that seems to characterize Jesus and the mission of Jesus as one of peace. And here he is saying, don't think I've come to bring peace. I have come to bring division. And in fact, there are eight againsts here. Three against two, two against three, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. It's like against, against, against. That's what Jesus is saying here. So the question is, how on earth does a God who is all about peace end up bringing so much division, particularly in a family? The Jewish family unit was so important and harmony and unity in that unit was of paramount importance. And yet Jesus is saying, I have come not to bring peace, but division. And then lists out all these tiers of family relationships that are going to be brought to division. Well, think of Mary, the mother of Christ. When she was told, invited, uh, that she was going to bear the Son of God, it was not a peaceful experience for her. In fact, it was so discordant for her and her family that Joseph, who was, who was basically engaged to her, decided that he was going to divorce her, nonetheless quietly, but it was going to lead to the, the dissolution of their relationship. 
the scriptures don't specify all of this, but we know culturally at that time that for a woman to be pregnant out of wedlock was a deep dishonor and shame for the family. It was a divisive thing for God to come into the world through an unwed teenage mother. It potentially broke up the engagement, ostracized her from the family, and broke up the family. Why would God choose to bring the Prince of Peace through such division and dishonor? Well, one, one thing maybe that, that I could say about it is obviously a wholehearted yes to Jesus and to the kingdom that Jesus brings does not automatically mean all of your relationships and even your family relationships are going to be harmonious, peaceful, and unified. In fact, from this passage alone, and, you, and we don't typically take things from just one passage, but staring this passage in the face, you would almost think that division is an indication that God is in fact at work. When you and your family and your close relationships experience division, especially over spiritual matters, especially around the person and the work of Christ, Jesus is almost saying here, that is a sign of my presence and my work. It's not that if you follow Jesus and you embrace wholeheartedly him into your life, that everything will be peaceful in your relationships and family. So again, because I have my parents here, I get to do this as like a tell, uh, what is it? Show and tell kind of thing. But my dad has a great, has some great stories of people who have said uh, a yes to Christ and that have therefore had to bear a great family cost. So I wanted just him to share a story of maybe a person or two that he has heard uh, directly and personally of this dynamic of a yes to God, not meaning necessarily peace and harmony in their family. So dad, go ahead. Thank you. So one of the things that I'm always amazed about is the how people treasure this relationship that they have with Jesus. It, and and I, in, in our context as well, it's a question that I'd like to put to myself. How much do we treasure this relationship with Jesus? Do we take him for granted? Or is it just like a, you know, a 7-Eleven shop that we run to him when, we, when the storms hit? And, and I'm always encouraged and challenged when, when we really cling to him and then you know his presence is with us. Last month, I was in India and I met, met a young man, must be in his 20s, late 20s. He grew up in a traditional Hindu family, very, very traditional. And he was there at the temple every, every day of the week praying to his gods. Um, and his family were, were well established and recognized in the community as everybody looked up to them. And <clears throat> one day a, a Christian came into the village and he started a school. And this, this young person that I met plotted immediately. They knew he was a Christian and they plotted to kill him. So they, hold, they, they went into very detailed plans of planning to kill him and as they were planning to do that 
something happened with the with this Christian man <clears throat> where he was cheated. And so he went to the father of this boy and they had a good relationship. And because of that, they, he couldn't do anything. And then as, as, as he noticed this Christian man, he noticed there was something very different about him. He was not like the normal Christians, normal people like he was associated with. And so he started questioning his, his faith, his traditional faith of going to the temple and worshiping an idol. And then he started saying, God, show me if yourself, if you're real. And then one day while he was sitting down, he heard a voice very clearly saying, I am Jesus, come follow me. He was very confused and he said that, you know, he, th he thought he was because he was also on drugs. He thought he was deluded and he was something that was uh, happening to him. And this went on time and again. He kept hearing this voice calling him. Finally, he told his parents that, you know, I'm, I've, I've met this Jesus. Immediately, the family disowned him. He lost his inheritance and they threatened then they called the priest and tried to um, counsel him to come back to the faith. But he said, no, my Jesus is more precious to me. And so he was thrown out of his house. Um, he lost his inheritance. His parents refused to speak to him. His community completely disowned him. And the only person that he is in contact with today is his sister. And his sister was 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 for many years trying to have a baby and he was saying um, and he told her that he would pray for her and when he prayed for her she got pregnant and just before the baby was to be born apparently the umbilical cord was around the neck of the baby and she called him desperately and saying what am i going to do i'm, I'm going to lose this baby he said don't worry god who's performed this miracle will 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 save this baby and so the baby was born normally and there are no problems and he said that to me answering this answering prayer of jesus is just amazing and i've lost my family I'm the only person i'm in contact with my sister uh is is the only person in the family but to me following jesus is more precious because i found the purpose of my life i found peace that i never had before that the gods could give me so i'm challenged when i hear stories like that even when young people at great cost are willing to follow jesus thank you so i mean that's quite a radical uh story a radical example of how a yes to God um, may may result in division in very close familiar relationship. Uh, in this case, the disowning and the loss of an inheritance from a family. So I don't have a story like that. Most of us don't have stories like that. And I was thinking, you know, how have I experienced this in my own life where, you know, Jesus has has brought or allowed division? And one that comes to mind is you know, when I was discerning um, the invitation to plant what we now know as West End Abbey, most most of the people that I shared with um, kind of vulnerably in the initial stage were quite supportive. 
but there was one case, one conversation where I shared what I felt God was leading me to do and the reasons. And there had been three or four years worth of different kind of indications, interior and exterior. And this conversation didn't go very well at all. This person um, basically, I think, thought I was a lunatic and thought that I was kind of jumping ship from the current church environment that I was in and the way that I could just escalate the ladder of church leadership at that particular context. And it actually resulted in um, the rupturing, if not the breaking of this particular relational context. And I remember thinking in that time, wow, I think I had expected that because I've just tried to discern this patiently and deeply, that as I share it, everybody would be sort of affirming of it. And yet here was this conversation, here was this person who was not that way at all. And it was very, it was very hard to, to navigate that. So perhaps you have cases in your own life of times when um, your faith in Jesus, your, your desire to live a certain kind of faith has put you at odds with other people and even your family members, where in your own way you could say, as Jesus says, oh, you know, this has not been peaceful. This has actually been divisive. Maybe you have your own stories of, of that. But why, why would God allow this? Why would God allow this? Well, I think that's a hard question to know fully. But one thing I think we can take from this particular gospel passage is that God does allow and may even bring division in our most dear relationships. God allows and may even bring division in our most dear relationships. I don't mean that God is there trying to divide people from one another, but I mean that, you know, taking your faith seriously may bring division in your most dear relationships. And as I've thought about that and I, you know, considered this passage, um, I think one thing that does come clear to me is that division clarifies priorities. Division helps us know who and what we ultimately love and worship. In my case, when I had this conversation with this person who naysayed the whole idea of planting a church, etc., etc., it made me have to come face to face with the choice of, well, do I want to follow what this person is saying and kind of fall in line with what they think my life should be like? Or do I want to follow and shape my life around uh, God and God's invitation because apparently in that case I couldn't have both and so it clear the division clarified you know the options but also for me it clarified the priority with that well even if it's not popular I'm so convinced that this is the Lord that I that I will do it not just out of duty but because it's kindling some deep joy and deep desire in me you know and in fact, if our love and worship is disordered, meaning out of order, if we are loving and worshiping things out of order, we will ultimately lose our peace. So I think that's the reason why God allows division, not because God is a sadist and enjoys family, you know, disharmony and family tension and friends tension, but because God wants to be our real peace and actually to give us real peace. And real peace comes when you are, as best as you can be, untethered from what people may think or not think of you.
especially your family in some ways. Real peace comes from being able to say yes to God, like Mary, even if your, you know, your spouse-to-be or your parents or whoever think you are absolutely crazy and you're out of your mind. In fact, even Jesus was accused of that by his own family. When the crowd started following him in Galilee, his, his family came to kind of rescue him from the circuit he was on because they, they, they thought he was out of his mind. But real peace is not just having everyone, including your family, think great thoughts about you, although that's nice. Real peace is, you know, I will do what God is inviting me to do and whether people like it or not, whether people approve of it or not, um, doesn't actually affect my peace, you know? So I would like to invite us all to consider where in your life currently might God be allowing or even bringing division in your most dear relationships? Where is God allowing or bringing division in your most dear relationships? And how might this be an invitation to you to a more, more wholehearted yes to God? So I'll say it again and then I'll give us, you know, some, some space and some silence just to have some conversation with God about this. But where is God allowing or bringing division in your most dear relationships, even family? And how might that be an invitation to a more wholehearted yes to God?